Welcome to Have You Not Seen That? My name is Crossman. I'm Charles. I'm Wilson. This is a podcast where we talk about films. Uh, these are films that we haven't seen that are missing from our back catalog that, you know, sometimes someone puts you on the spot and they're like, hey, have you seen this film? And it's easy to say yes. And I think this is a moment where we can own up to that. And Wilson, uh, you chose last week, you chose the film Blowout. Yes, I did. Uh, tell us about it. Okay. Uh, Blowout is uh, Brian De Palma's 1981 political thriller starring John Travolta and Nancy Allen. Uh, John Travolta plays a sound technician in the... A Foley artist. A what? A Foley artist. Is that what they're called? Yes. Okay. He plays a Foley artist yep. um, in the surely booming Philadelphia film industry. Um, he largely does sound for um, schlocky horror movies. Um, the movie opens with a film within a film where the, we have the perspective of the voyeuristic uh, campus killer who is stabbing a co-ed in the shower and the scream from the co-ed is bad. They need a better scream. Um, so they, the director tells Travolta to go out there and, and get some new sound, get a better scream, and get some new wind. So he finds a um, bridge to, it, to gather up some wind sounds and later get his, the, the scream that he needs. Um, while he's recording, this is in the middle of the night, nobody else is around, it's nature stuff. Um, while this is, while he's doing this, a car crashes, and he records the sound of this car crashing. Um, and it falls into this river. He dives into the river, notices that the driver of the vehicle is dead, you know, the impact of the crash killed him, um, but that the woman in the backseat is alive. Um, and he busts open the window with a big rock, pulls her out, and, and saves her life. And this is the, the Nancy Allen character. Um, he is brought back to the hospital in the Philly hospital, um, interviewed by some police officer and some handler for the, um, the guy that was driving the car because it turns out the person who was driving the car is the governor? Governor. Yeah, the governor Pens of Pennsylvania. Of New York, right? Of New York, was that it? Okay. The governor of some state. Say, okay. Yeah, <laughs> the governor of a northeastern state um, who was running for president. And he was very popular, he was a lock to win, and now he's dead. And more to the point, he was dead while in the, a vehicle in the middle of the night with some woman who wasn't his wife, which is the Nancy Allen character that um, John Travolta rescued. And these handlers are trying to massage the situation and tell Travolta and this woman that they should just shut up about it, go home, save his family the heartache, um, and, and let, let the country heal. Um, at, uh, Travolta decides to, to blow this off. He develops, uh, he has sparks with the lady that he rescued from the vehicle, of course. Um, and he also notices on the tape that he um, recorded while gathering these movie effect sounds that there were two explosions that he, that he thinks he hears uh, a gunshot and the tire blowing out. When this, the official story is that the tire blew out, it was a freak accident, and that's, that's how the guy died. Um, and from there, uh, Travolta investigates uh, what's going on. Um, away from the Travolta point of view, there's a John Lithgow character who we learn about halfway through the movie is the one who propagated this conspiracy. Um, he is operating outside of the parameters of his mission from whatever higher-ups instructed him to, to blow out this tire um, because he learns that the Nancy Allen character survived. Um, so there is, in fact, a conspiracy. To cover up the conspiracy, the John Lithgow character is killing prostitutes who look like Nancy Allen in order to make his eventual murder of Nancy Allen look like part of a larger pattern in this serial killing rather than in any way connected to the, the uh, murder of, the, the assassination of this um, presidential candidate. Uh, John Travolta ends up, 
events transpire from there. He's, <laughs> he's he, it turns out that there's film of the um, of the event. <laughs> he sinks. He gets a hold of the film. He syncs up the film with the um, audio to confirm that yes, there were two. Uh, uh, two sounds and there was a gunshot and the blowout and there's a, a flash of gunfire that he's able to sync up with the uh, explosion. Um, they're going to hand, they, they plan to hand off this tape to a reporter who is kind of like hooked on this story as well. He ends up wiring uh, the Nancy Allen character to, for sound, um, what, what, cause she's going to exchange the tape with the reporter, but it turns out that the guy that they're actually meeting isn't the reporter, it's the John Lithgow character. John Lithgow ends up killing her, and the movie basically ends with, with John Fentervolta having failed to prevent another tragedy, um, but he does get the scream that he needs for the, the shocky horror movie. Um, and the bad guys win. <laughs> that's that's basically the movie. Um, I skipped a lot of like machinations in there. This is like a pretty tightly plotted. They don't end up, but it's impossible to untie all that. Okay. Um, so that yeah, that's the movie. It it, it was uh, it was a doozy. Um, it, either of you seen this? I hadn't even heard of it. Okay, you... I had heard of it, and oh, and I knew that it was one of the only films about a foley artist. So. <laughs> uh, no, that's probably true. <laughs> uh, well, what do you think of it? Go ahead. I, um, so, if you like pitched me this movie, yes, I would be like, "That sounds rad," because <laughs> like it sounds like the the <coughs> first like twenty minutes are good, right? He's a Foley artist. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. The fact that his specific skill set allows him to like capture the sound of the crash, and then there's this like larger conspiracy is being covered up that he's now embroiled in. Right. That's great. Then they get to the hospital, and from that point on. Nobody in the film acts like a human would act really? in any of this situation. The, their reactions to things are crazy. Well, some of them, like yeah. the um, what's the the Nancy Allen? Na- Nancy Allen. She's what's just like, yeah, I guess I'll skip town. Sally and and Travolta's like, let's just catch a drink later, rather than being like, hey, isn't it crazy that I just saved your life? Yeah. Like nobody acknowledges <laughs> that ever. And then he just, like, their plan doesn't make any sense to, like, give her the tape and have her, like, all, it's it's so wacky. I was just so, like, these, like, they're, it didn't make any sense. Like, why, <laughs> no one would act in this way. Like, well, not, I, neither of the characters seem afraid, and they should be terrified, because oh, there's I someone. Think Travolta seems very afraid. Like, that, he's, yeah, like, he's gets, paranoid as hell. Like, yeah, like, movie. he is so tightly wound, this whole movie. But like, he doesn't. He, I mean, he's such a weird person, like IRL, yes. and then like that seems to just be him on screen. Like he doesn't seem capable of acting like a normal person would act in this. Oh no, I, I liked Travolta in this movie, and I think that really, the, I'm yeah, shocked yes. by that. Yeah, yeah, and I think that the Nancy Alley, uh, yeah. Allen thing is that she was kind of in on it, right? Like because she knew that she was loosely, being, yeah, right? That she was being set up, and I think that she has mixed feelings about how much how culpable she is, right? And I think that that is part of what's going on here. Because we have, we, we after that sequence in the bus station, we have her go to the... Like her boyfriend. That the the NYPD like, blue guy. Yeah. And <laughs> like... And, and Who plays a good, like, downtrodden... Like, creep. Yeah. Yes. Um, creep. He does. Uh, he played the cop eventually. It makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, 
and, and that's when we find out that like she was she knew that she was setting up this guy. She thought she was setting him up for like an adultery scandal because um, she has a history of doing that. And yeah, but then it turned out it was murder. And then it turns out it was murder, and she yeah. was like, "Oh, maybe this is something that I." This is more than I thought it was. I, 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 the I impression I got was that she was in on it, but not at the right level. But yes. then she was too oblivious for the actual conspiracy that was going yeah. on. Yeah. Right, and I think that like she kind of had a little bit of whatever was inflicted John Travolta here, and that like they they wanted to know a little bit more, um, and he just got more obsessed with it and like roped her into it. I I was like. I liked how this film started, and then for me, it just was like way off the rails. Wow. And okay. then, like when he like drives through the crowd later, like that was nuts. And like does, he yeah. doesn't get like punished for that in any way. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's very Brian De Palma. Yeah. I think that that's like De Palma doing his thing. Yeah, um, and which, then it ends like so dark. Yes, like, it was a very grim ending, yeah. um, <laughs> which I think works. But we'll get to that. What do you think of it, Charles? Uh, I liked this movie for the most part. I, I feel like it kind of lost me around the point where they set up the meeting with the news reporter who's actually John Lithgow. Yes. Uh, and then it goes to like a chase scene that I don't really feel that compelled by for some reason. Uh, yeah. Oh. Um, but up until then, I liked the intrigue of it, him trying to sync the tape. There's a lot of that process that I found interesting. Yes. There's a lot of interesting like visual um, motifs throughout the movie, visual tricks that they use um, that I find interesting. Um, the general conspiracy building up I thought was interesting, but then the place where it resolved in the end, it just kind of lost me. Yeah. See, I, like, I agree that the, the, the chase sequence stamseling thing was like the weaker part of the film. Yeah, like, that think, was bad. Yeah, I, I do like where it ended up there, that it, it ends with Travolta's failure and that like his obsession like didn't get him anywhere, like it doesn't solve anything for him. Yeah. And like the very dark message that like, we essentially don't have any control of the political movement of our country, which is kind of the, the central thesis of this movie. Um, and that the good scream that they end up finding is like his scream at realizing this horror. And that ties in well for me. Like I, think I that thought that was actually like very grimly hilarious. Yeah, it, it's dark. It's very dark, <laughs> yeah. but there was also some humor to it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, it's basically a laugh line. It, like the movie yeah. ends on like a dark comedy note. Yeah, that where he says like they have the scream from that sequence, and Travolta says, "Yeah, that's a good scream," and the movie ends. It's just, <laughs> what I was disappointed by was he still had a copy of the tape, so why didn't he do anything about that? Like, the murderer guy, he already killed him. No, his other copies got destroyed. But yeah. he made a copy at the end as well. Yeah, that he gives to her to, like, give to the He reporter. made an extra copy in addition because uh, he was paranoid. I must have missed that. Did he? Yeah, remember, they're, like, talking about this plan, and he's like, I'm making another copy right now. And she's like, aren't you being a little paranoid? Okay. And so he has at least a co I think he said he could make a copy of the audio without the video or something like that. So maybe it wouldn't be as conclusive. Right, I think, yeah. But he, he still has a copy of something. Yeah, of the, yeah. And he uh, could easily make that video again. Did he, ha but he didn't have the, the film anymore, right? The he, film was just from the newspaper because he cut out the he had stills. The, right, he had the, the better film, magazine. but he also had the, the magazine photos. Yeah. So he could still kind of recreate it. And he still saw the gunshot in the original footage. Oh, I, I also did not like the... The film part. The film part, like, didn't seem necessary in that, like, oh, and also there was this guy who was shooting the visual, and, like, I, I get it, because it's, like, cool that, like, the visual and the audio, like, 
come, come, come together. It was and, cool like, to watch him like, put it together. He's putting it. the X's on the That tape. just didn't feel necessary to me. It was like yeah. the audio is like enough to like prove the conspiracy. And so it, I, it just felt like a lot of extra plotting to like get to the same point. <laughs> no, I'm not, is, I, I, no, I think he... You would need the video there, right? Cause no, because he can hear it. Like he hears he it can, just from the audio that there's like an extra sound. Right, but this yeah. like because it syncs up shows that it's the sound from this thing. That like right. proves it, and it allows him to like prove it to normal people. Right, but that didn't. Which I, to which me, I think that, is like, why didn't he reads feel it. necessary. <laughs> I think that's why he reads it as necessary because yeah. like even if he can, he knows that he was there. He knows that this is what he was recording, but like he can't demonstrate that to anybody else. It just felt convenient that there was also a photographer on the scene who also caught the accident, which feels like crazy and not possible. Well, like, well no, but it, he but was it, in on it. Yeah, he was in on it. The the whole plot yeah. was to catch the woman in the car with him. It's just that the plot kind of went off the rails because John Lithgow is a psychopath. Is a, is a crazy person. Because what, what was supposed to happen is that he drives by with this woman in the car, they send the, the pictures, photos, yeah. they feed the pictures to the press that says, like, look at here's this candidate with a strange woman who's not his wife. But what he ends up taking pictures of is, is the murder. Is the murder? No, I, I get that. Yeah. But like, I, this feels like a lot of extra plotting. That's uh -huh. not necessary. Like, just the murder alone is fine. Like, we don't need the to like prove that he's like in a car with a woman. But, like, it's fine. Like, no, no, because no, they they weren't planning to murder him. That was Lithgow acting alone. Yeah, right. But that's like enough, I think. Enough that, for that, what? like assassination is like enough. I think of, like a conspiracy means, like, in terms of just writing the script, right? Not yeah, in terms of what like for the movie. story, right? But if like, it's if it's just Lithgow like yeah. assassinating somebody, like the fact that like he's there and like catches the audio of like an assassination that's happening, right? That's like an interesting and enough sure. plot to like start like a conspiracy movie, like the the visual part that was like this whole extra story that we're all oh we're we're gonna catch him like in the car with a woman uh -huh. that didn't feel necessary to me like we have the assassination that's like enough okay. of like a conspiracy yeah well, for I, the movie yeah I think my yeah. like I thought that worked narratively I have a little bit of problem with it okay <laughs> politically because I think what was going on there is they were saying that the dark right wing or whatever this is that's going to be assassinating people and setting up crazy conspiracies isn't actually assassinating people, right? Like they're doing the must, much softer conspiracy of just setting up this extramarital affair and like making him look like a bad family man. Yeah. And that the guy who's assassinating people is a crazy lone wolf, right? Like he's operating outside of the parameters. Nobody, nobody who is on the other side of this political argument actually wants anybody to get killed. That that was a freak thing. But there, there was like another party involved, and it's like in tone that it's like his uh, rival, like a political rival, like started right. the like snowball of this of these events. But their plan yeah. was to just get these pictures. Yeah. Right. And the thing that actually happens is this guy ends up dead. Right. That I had a problem with because, of course. Political rivals are okay with assassinating people, right? Like they get assassinated all the time. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of punting on the and, and kind of runs in contrast to the theming of the movie. That mm -hmm. if what if we're, we look at like the nihilistic conclusion of this film, and like I think the nihilistic conclusion is like your actions don't have that much meaning. You have very little control over the political environment in, in which you live, and mm -hmm. you can obsess over the various conspiracies and, and crazy shit that's going on 
in your government, and it won't make a lick of difference, mm -hmm. right? Like you, the, the lady still dies at the end. You still fail to, to rescue the person you're supposed to rescue. You do not re reveal the conspiracy. Yeah, and I think that if the conspiracy is or the bad act is one guy going off script, that kind of sucks because that's not what's going on, right? Yeah. Like what happens in mm -hmm. the world is there. There really are insidious people who are willing to to murder and do violent horrible acts to achieve political power yeah and i think that the movie kind of punted on that point and that stinks well, like mm -hmm. and that that's a problem yeah i think it it feels like the movie's inspired but i know there's like an earlier film that this is blow up oh okay there's actually two there's blow up in the conversation the okay. conversation was also inspired because this up. one feels like it's like the <laughs> events of like uh, Ted Kennedy, Chappaquiddick, yes. and then also mixed with the RFK assassination. And Watergate. And, yeah, and Watergate. Yeah. And so it's like those yeah. three kind of real things formed into like one yes. like conspiracy here. Yeah, I, I like and, the, yeah. this is very clearly a product, I think, of that era. Yeah. Um, and it, same thing with, with um, Blow Up, the original yeah. one. What I think like a better version of this is, and I think what you're kind of referencing or getting to is, um, I think it's Three Days of the Condor. Okay. Which is uh, same director as All the President's Men that we've watched together, but uh, fictional. Mm -hmm. um, and that one is like, there's a fictional RFK assassination and Robert Redford's character is there to witness it and then starts, in he's a newspaper reporter and he starts investigating it and he gets... Um, ultimately, like what happens in that film is that he like he sees like the small kind of like base level of the conspiracy, in that there is a collusion between kind of like world capital and politics, in such that <laughs> the politician who's assassinated was kind of like challenging that power structure, and there's sort of this like corporation behind things mm -hmm. that is like pulling pulling the strings and Robert character Robert Redford's character like sees that for like a second but like a really small detail of it and ends up in a similar fashion as this film where he's like not able to solve the problem okay but just for a second was able to like see the conspiracy that that mm -hmm. was never no one was uh, else was like able to, to R see it right and this gets maybe a little too De Palma y yes yes what does it mean to be De Palma -y? so he did Scarface yeah. He was, so like he, I, I think he, that's the only film of his that I'd seen before okay. this. Um, it's representative of, especially a lot of his later career work. <laughs> like he is, like known for like big audacious action sequences. Yeah. Like not being a particularly subtle filmmaker. Like Which he doesn't really fit with the theme of this movie. Right. And I think this is earlier in his career. I think he was heavily influenced by a lot of the guys that came just before him. So he's watching Scorsese, he's watching Coppola, like he's watching you know folks like that. I think he's watching these other like 70s conspiracy films like the uh, right. All the President's Men, 3 Days of the Yeah, Condor, yeah, probably. Um, well, the, and the Parallax View. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. And, and he's watching Antonioni, um, who did uh, Blow Up, the, yeah. the one that this is inspired, uh, that inspired this movie. Um, and, and Antonioni is like a very esoteric Italian director who makes like these plotless films that, you know, are hard to pin down. Yeah. Um, and so I think that he watches a bunch of that stuff and it influences his work here. Mm -hmm. And then you look at him later on in his career and he kind of leans more into the largeness of, of, sure. of where he, he ends up and where he is today. Um, my sense of De Palma now is that, you know, it, it's kind of a, a case of where he is, where he is, and you kind of know what you're getting. I think I like this movie a little bit more than you guys. Um, I think that there is some uh, 
resonance here, and I think that, that Travolta does do good work. Um, the, the plotting gets a little naughty. So Scarface was right after this film. That was his next film. I thought Scarface was more in the 80s. Or no. later well, that's 81, Scarface is 83. I thought oh, it was wow. more, oh, so really? Yeah, I thought it was late eighties. Yeah, no, he goes right from Blowout to Scarface. That's surprising because this movie didn't do great. Like, it, it got good reviews. Like, it, the, the critics responded, it did not make much money, and it had a for the time a good budget. Like, this wasn't mm. you know some mid level you know movie where you can punt on the on the funding. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they I put mean, John Travolta was a huge star by now, right? Right. Surely. Well, this is after Saturday Night Fever and in Greece. Um, so yes, and Nancy Allen is not a nobody either. Um, so, and it, it took a little while for them to make their money back on this. So that's a little surprising that he's getting Al Pacino. Yeah, um, I I think I like Scarface more than you. I think it's kind of like I it, don't like it, Scarface. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get that. I I still think it's like an interesting film. I like that what it is. <laughs> like it's very violent. I guess it's like it's a bit very violent. It's very violent, yes. and it it has like a sort of Dick Wolf kind of like rip from the headlines kind of sure. nature to it. Yeah. Um, and uh, Pacino is like so over the top in that film. Yeah, I, but, I don't like Pacino in that movie. I yeah. think that's my, my biggest problem with it is that A, his performance is pretty racist. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's the 80s, fine, but yeah. it's still pretty racist. Um, and it's just, like, there's... It feels like there was nobody on that set to tell either of these guys to, like, dial it back a little bit. For sure. But then right. the, the product of that is, like, a wild film. Right, which... and to me it just feels, like, overwhelming. And not in a good way. Like Grindhouse in nature. Yeah, in, in a way that I just like, can, I, I stop taking in what's going on on screen. Mm. It's just like, it becomes so audacious and broad. And I don't know if I was dumb. bothered by that. I think my reaction to the movie is more in relation to the fan base that the movie has. Where, yeah, where yeah. it just felt like way overrated and that Certainly people that. seem to be glorifying the movie in a way that I find kind of disturbing. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. I think you're absolutely <laughs> correct about that. Yeah, no no question. And so that kind of left a sour taste for me even if the movie was like entertaining and all that. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's fine. and like It is what it is, but I've, I saw it once and I have no desire to go back yeah. to it at all. Um, the movie, I, I think this cl- tracks... Blowout tracks more closely with the conversation than it does with Blow Up. Um, the conversation is Francis Ford Coppola's movie that he did between Godfather One and Godfather Two. Uh, it stars Gene Hackman as like a guy who taps phone lines and like surreptitiously records people, and he accidentally records what he thinks is people plotting a murder. Yeah, and it unfolds from there. Um, and the conversation is a fantastic movie. It 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 might be it, like there are people who would say it's Coppola's best, and he did you know Apocalypse Now and, and Godfather. Um, wow. And I I think that's that inspired this movie more directly than Blow Up, despite the title similarity. Um, and I think that that, that came that, before this one. Yeah, uh, conversation was in the seventies. This is eighty one. Conversation okay. was like seventy two or seventy three, something like that. Okay. Um, and yeah, that that is a really great movie because it, it is kind of like blow up because blow up is he the guy takes a picture of what he thinks might be a murder that happened and he ends up literally blowing up the image to see yeah. it more closely, um, and this kind of takes that and makes it an audio movie instead of a visual movie, which is where blow out is. Um, but I think that the conversation is more tightly plotted. Um, I like Gene Hackman a lot in that one, um, and it like the twist at the end of that one really does work really well. I think. Um, so I think that's more successful than probably either 
blowout, blowout, blowout. Yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's just so much like stuff in this movie. There's a lot movie. of things. A lot of things. The whole John Lithgow character is like confounding. Just like, like he has like multiple <laughs> things going on where he's like just he's actually the running the conspiracy. Yes, and yeah, but he's yeah he's also this like psychotic guy who's just like kills for fun, like kills prostitutes for fun. Yeah, well, and, I mean, and he's like framing murders of like a fake murder in Philly. And, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's a. And he's uh, pretending that he's the reporter. It's it, there's just like so many things that so many moving pieces. And yeah. like, I think at a point that don't feel necessary. That, I think that's what gets at me is that like mm-hmm. there's just so many things that are introduced that it's just like there are easier ways to. Plot this that yeah I was would I was make more sense I was on board for the video yeah. portion which you weren't and that's fine yeah. Um, yeah like him pretending to be the reporter was where the it, the film didn't lose me but where I was like okay I'm not exactly yeah hooked on, on this beat because um, that didn't track for me on one viewing that said what it makes space for in the movie is thrilling right like it, it like you have Travolta listening in. actual to, action. Right, you have Travolta listening into what he comes to realize is Nancy Allen character's in imminent death yeah. and like him like fearing failure once again and fearing that he will not be able to rescue her in time and then realizing that actual failure. Like that that aspect of it works and like if we have to get there in like a silly way, I guess I'm kind of forgiving of that. Um, but I agree that it was like tough to really track. Yeah, I, I think what's most disappointing to me is that like whenever I see Lithgow on film, I'm like, thank God Lithgow's here. <laughs> like whenever he shows up in a film, you're like, <laughs> at least we have Lithgow. Yeah, we, yeah, we love him. If nothing else. And here he's just so wooden. Like the when you get Lithgow, you get like someone who's like great, very eloquent, almost Shakespearean in his style of acting. And to give him a, as you said, like a Terminator esque like character who is just kind of like this like crazy murderer is like no, like you got to let him like go big and like you want him to like confront like the characters or like give like a big monologue. Yeah, or something. and even when he's in terrible movies, he's great. Like he's in Cliffhanger, he's like great. Yeah. Like he's a great bad guy mm-hmm. in what is otherwise an awful movie. Yeah, I mean we've already seen one. We saw Footloose. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Perfect and he was the best part of Footloose yes, by he far. Was. And here he's just like not given the space to like do what he's good at, yeah, which I, is like a verb, a verbose character is what you want out of like a Lithgow mm-hmm. performance. I, I felt like I was sold by his character. Like it made sense. He's a great he actor. performed well. Yeah. Um, but you're right that it probably doesn't sell to his strengths. It, yeah. It is, it, and I don't, I don't know Lithgow's career that well. Yeah. Right. Like, but this is early on. Like he uh, just presents as younger here. He looks young. And I'm wondering he if... He compared to Footloose, which is just a few years after this. Right, where he plays he like an, a father of like a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know if like directors just weren't familiar with what he brings to the table yet. Totally possible. Because if it, he, he, I don't want to say he was miscast, but he was underutilized. Yeah. And that feels like a shame because when he does, he does have moments here, like when he is pretending to be the reporter. Like excellent. He gets it, that like vocal affect just right. Yeah. And I like always a, thought it was funny when the reporter enters the scene because he just has that same reporter voice. Yes. The whole way through, and that was like really comical to it, me. It was funny. And then he imitated that voice really well. Right. And like while they're in the train station, and he's 
talking to the Nancy Allen character, like there's a menace to him, and there's like yeah. a, a menace to that sequence where like we That's a are in, scene. yeah, we're in on it, she isn't, and he is, and like there's this dramatic natural dramatic irony. Um, and like that stuff works, but we have like one scene of that. Yeah, you want him to like confront your main character, right? And like that's like where he like really shines. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, what a waste. Another yeah. I, what's disappointing about that like action sequence was like you have so many ingredients for like a really compelling scene because he's got her wired up and he's trying to figure out where she is based on the audio cues yes right? so good right and yeah, that, that would be great. so great set up really well for some reason the way it's executed doesn't feel very satisfying or interesting she does eventually say her location but he's too late <laughs> to utilize that information so he just goes on a mad car chase through the city it's like what is, and that? then he gets knocked out, and then an indeterminate amount of time passes, such that it was daylight when he gets knocked out after the car right. crash, and then it's nighttime, and, and it's just like, and she's not murdered, but yet. he's he's not dead. <laughs> yeah. uh, they have somehow just gotten off the subway yes. that they had left. Yes, like that was so weird. That, yes. The ending is so that whole sequence leading up to the ending of the film is so weak like it is and it, what's yeah. bizarre about it is that you, like like you were saying there is so much in place there for it to work not yeah. not just like this sequence about tracking her on the subway which is great and like is a great setup for like a Plus, great thriller sequence he's a sound guy he should be able to like decode yes. the like clues of like what's happening and then like be able to like right and then we have like these logistical yeah. problems like what how much time is passing and like how far does this radio actually work like can, can he yeah. hear her from which like, could be used well yes. in, in the film because yeah. that limitation is like a good limitation to have mm -hmm. and like that it, it kind of is very very hazy about what that is and like how that functions yeah which is a shame it's a real shame because yeah. there are so many good pieces there um, one and, thing that i thought was funny was throughout the movie i was thinking about so since he's a sound guy it made me think more about the actual sound editing of the movie sure. since they bring that to attention. You think about how ironic it is that he's out there collecting sounds and they had to edit these sounds into that scene, right? Um, and you think about the process behind that. But the further irony is that during that car chase scene, the sound editing was so terrible. <laughs> yeah, I and, did not notice as well, but I believe it's you. It's not a compelling car chase like at all. No. It makes no sense. Yeah. No. I, that, and, did not work. Yeah, yeah. But like the like the car is like silent. Mm -hmm. um, they make some like kind of generic and shitty squeaky like car uh, tire sounds when he's like trying to turn. Yeah. Uh, you don't hear enough screams of people because he's like driving through the crowd. Like it's just a really poorly, like sound edited scene, and it's just so weird for a movie that brings so much attention to sound to do such a poor job in like you know the most. Like the the scene that may, that maybe requires the best sound editing, yeah. I'd say, to be convincing. Yeah, where, where you're going to notice it the most, at least. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, no, I, I'm I'm with you on that that last sequence there. That it was just kind of I don't know, shoddy. Um, but the I think that I was with the movie for most of it, and I think that the stuff that worked for me really did work well. I did like Travolta in this movie, and I liked the like the the commentary on technology. Right, because there are we do have these multiple lengthy sequences where he's like, you know, developing film or like putting together the sound clips in a certain way or syncing up the video and the audio, and like or taking pictures of the cutouts of these these magazines, and that I think was well constructed and like well edited, and I was like with the movie during that during those sequences, 
but it also feels like it's about how none of that really added up to much. Yeah. Right? Like, he's he's doing all of these things, but, exactly. like, his technology isn't saving him. No. Right. And I think that that's, that is meaningful. Like, there's, there's something there that, like, you... You can have all of these tools available to you, but the tools alone are insufficient, right? And I think that this guy's reliance on that, just that, and not anything else, kind of results in him making the same mistakes later on. I I still think that it could have mattered if he wasn't an idiot at the end and done the whole tape switch thing with the news reporter and Nancy Allen. Right. Like, you think if he's that paranoid at this point, it's there's obvious, like, um, red flags about this whole, like, news reporter contacting her while his phone is, like, out of commission, sort of. Right, which is why he wires her up, right? Like, that, yeah. well, that was the reasoning there, I believe. Yeah, but, like, instead of doing that, like, you know where the news reporter works. Just Drop it off at, a, at his place instead of doing this weird thing. Yeah, well, he probably doesn't want to leave the film, like, out of his hands. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems like over plotted and like they're like adding detail just for the sake of like being clever and not mm-hmm. like things that like work. Yeah, no, for I the think plot. there are it does get to that point. Yeah. It, it yes, I agree that it gets to that point. Like where it gets to that point I think is, is a debatable question. Sure. Um but yes, I agree with you. Okay. Yeah, I think that, that we're largely on the same page there. Um yeah, I I looked up some reviews of this one because I, I I know it's well regarded. Right, like this one, yeah. to date, has uh, positive reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, it, it's, it's high up there. So I, I looked up Pauline Kale's review, which was republished when this got a Criterion release. Um, and <laughs> she had a glowing recommendation. She, Pauline Kale loved this movie. Famous uh, film critic who wrote for The New Yorker yeah. for decades. Um, thought Travolta was great. Thought that this was like the the coming, of, like the, the maturation of Brian De Palma. That this is a signal that here is this great new American filmmaker, and uh, that John Travolta is finally playing like an adult character, um, unlike you know Saturday Night Fever and Grease and things like that. Thought it was great. Thought that it was just the mm-hmm. the one of the best of the year. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to say about that. Okay, well, I, Travolta, I think, is an awful. Act, really? Just actor in general, but uh, <laughs> here, I think it, it, it starts off really well. Like I really like the beginning right. of this film, right? And then he he really does not sell it for huh. me, like throughout. Yeah. Where I'm just like so distracted by how strange he is, and no, I think I'm okay with. Yeah. No, I, I I did like Travolta here. I think that I that it landed for me obviously better than it did for you, um, which which is fine. I think that he has a. I, I buy the like obsession narrative of this character, and, like the paranoia narrative of this character. Um, I think that works. That works for me. I liked his sequence on the bridge where he has like the conductor's wand. Um, That's the best that. part of the film. Yeah, yeah, it probably yeah. is. Honestly, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I like that they played with the camera angles yes. in that scene to show him pointing at the various sounds that he's picking up, and they have like the owl kind of spliced on the screen. That was a really cool. Yeah, yeah. They, they used um, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, like a diaptal. I don't know the word. There's a special lens that they use to do that. And it, it has to do with like half of the lens being nearsighted and the other half not. And that yeah. like creates Is this it a bifocal like, lens? It's not bifocal. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's similar to bifocal. Um, and it creates this effect where you are you have two things in focus at the same time. Yeah, like um, very different distances. And it, yeah. they use that a few times throughout the movie. So it, it happens okay. a lot 
during that sequence because you do have like the owl and Travolta on the bridge and you can see them both I didn't clearly. realize that. It looked like they had cut an owl over the scene. Yeah, no, it was that's that was real. That was framed that way. Same thing with like the frog, like where he has that sequence with the yeah. frog. They use the same lens there. Yep. Um, earlier in the film you have um, the, there, there's like a TV on one side of the screen that has like a news broadcast and Travolta working uh, in what would be the background but both are like in flat focus. I thought another. that was a cut too. I thought there was like a black line in the middle of the screen, like music video style. Yeah, it's it, it, it eventually becomes that when he like they do the phone call, dual, dual screen thing. But no, like there's a particular lens that hmm. that has that effect that they use. That was relatively yeah. novel at the time. Um, this movie was also one of the early movies to adapt the Steadicam. Like there's okay. multiple Steadicam sequences, and apparently the guy that did the um, killer bit at the beginning, the movie of the movie, uh, was the the. Camera operator was the guy that invented the Steadicam. All right. <laughs> I think he, he, he did that sequence. The authority. Yeah. So, yes, he is the authority. Um, so there were some, like, filmmaking, interesting filmmaking techniques used here. I, uh, and What I liked about that sequence is that it explains so well, like, what Travolta's job yes. is. And yeah. without, like, saying anything. Yeah. Like, they just, like, show him doing it and... And then it culminates in this like kind of this cool like action sequence. Yeah, no, the I, car like careens off the yeah, road, yeah. and like it's like, oh, this is like interesting. Yeah, I agree. It's the best part of the film. Yeah, but, yeah I'm, I'm with you there. Like it's it, it hooks it well. Like you, yeah, you, you said it. It's a and I like example. the false start too with the horror movie, and then it like you know, which, yeah. which you can see coming. But I think it was it's also done well. super funny that they showed like the terrible scream, and then they cut back to them like making the movie, and yeah. they realize what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah and that was very funny. funny. It was a good punchline, and like the the running jokes about like them having bad screams. Yeah, the, you, you never think about for. how hard it is to get a proper scream. You're right, but it turns out are. you have to murder someone. So. <laughs> yeah, oh, there it is. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that works. Um, Another scene I thought was very striking was when he's at the hospital, uh-huh. right before he talks to the cop. There's one quick sequence where his face in profile takes up like half the screen or like the left quarter of the screen right up against it and then the cops kind of like call for him and he turns away Mm -hmm. um it was just a very brief thing but it was a very cool effect yeah i remember that one too they probably were using that same lens yeah there as well because i think he De Palma got kind of happy with it in, yeah. in this movie. And I thought it was cool too, like the reveal that like he still doesn't know that like the person that died was like a really important, important person. Yeah. And I think they like they slow roll that throughout that whole scene. Yeah, there's some implication that there's more going on because yeah. the cops seem to know more about it, and he's like, "Why do you? Why are you asking me about this?" Mm-hmm. And um, that was a great way to reveal that. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I liked this movie more than you guys. I think. Uh, any any closing thoughts? <laughs> I, I I didn't. I just wanted like normal human <laughs> like reactions to things. And yeah, I, I didn't get that out of like any character here. Yeah, I mean, if if and Travolta's performance isn't landing, uh, then yeah, the movie's not gonna work. Yeah, yeah. And I think that this movie is aping like much better films, like the the Parallax View or Three Days of Condor, even All the President's Men. I, yeah, I think it's like in line with. The closest one is the conversation. Like, if, if yeah. you want to see like the fixed or better version of this, watch the conversation. That movie is legitimately great. Um, Gene Hackman is is great in it. Uh, that that's that's the one here. Um, yeah. it, it, the blow up is I like blow up. A lot of people don't because Antonioni is you know a difficult <laughs> person. Um, I don't think you guys would like that movie either. But mm-hmm. the, the, this one closes tracks more closely with the conversation. I mean, I don't want to sound too down on it. I still liked it overall, except for the ending. Yeah. Um, 
I guess the last note, another thing I appreciated was how much they filmed on location. Sure, yeah. Uh, in, like, very Philly locations. Um, yeah, Union Station. I was like, yeah, it's... In yeah, the, 30, <laughs> the 30th Street Station. Uh, I, yeah. I go there pretty often. I was literally there, like, a day before I watched it. It looks movie. exactly the same. Yeah. Like, they have not changed that. So it was, they haven't cleaned it at all. <laughs> no, they really haven't. The only difference was yeah. when he, um, like, goes to murder <laughs> the prostitute. Yeah. They're next to, like, the cool, like etching with like the the horsemen and a bunch Something of people around, yeah. that area is just like empty right now i know that area well because you have to pass it to get to that the that sculpture's still there though the sculpture's there just yeah. there's no benches or phone booths there it's okay. just empty yeah. um but yeah, you pass it to go to the bathroom uh, got it <laughs> um I, th I think like quickly like de palma directed the first tom cruise mission impossible yes. film and that's like i think a good like conspiracy film yeah like and then that is like has a lot of complicated things happening in it but it's plotted really well and i, I think yeah, no, I'm it's, sorry. it's very clear about this happens and this happens and then we like pull the rug on you and like actually this this other thing is happening and yeah, it, it also benefits from casting tom cruise yeah <laughs> yeah like that's gonna help a lot of movies <laughs> get um, there sure yeah which is not to undermine your point um like he Chose a good actor for his for his acting. Yeah, and I know Mission Impossible is like ten years after this, but I think there's like a maturity to more than that, right? Um, not that much more than that. Like his early nineties. Yeah, Mission Impossible was like mid. Oh really? 90s. I thought it was, it was like ninety five. I think. I thought maybe. it was later than that. Okay. You're um, right. And that's like a that's a very complicated plot. That's also an action movie. Uh huh. And that comes together really well. Yeah. I, to me, I think that's actually the best movie in that series still. Hmm. Really? And yeah, I love that film. I think it's great. Like start to finish is No, I like that is, movie too, but like there've been a lot of really great movies in that oh, series. Yeah, I, I still like the sort of like small scale stakes of that film, uh -huh. which I think translate well to the like type of spy versus spy that they're trying to do. Sure. Mm -hmm. No, I mean I don't want to knock Mission Impossible 1. I think it's a good movie, but yeah. there've been some like top tier action movies. Sure. So to so to see like Brian De Palma like can execute this kind sure. of thing. And here, it just like you think it's just less practice than this one, perhaps. Maybe, yeah. Um, no, I think I, I generally like this movie. I agree with that. I, I think I'm basically with you, Charles. Is that I think I had problems with the ending of this one that it just felt loose, like it just wasn't wasn't yeah. that tightly plotted. Um, there are some political messaging problems that I think are a little bit more subtle, but the broad ideas I think are well communicated. And I did I did like Travolta here. I think that this is really one of his better performances, which might be a low bar to clear, but you know he does have some strong performances for me in in his filmography so i'm, I'm yeah. glad I, i'm glad i saw it i'm glad i ticked it off the list i've been meaning to for a while um and but honestly just watch the conversation <laughs> if you're gonna choose between the two just watch the conversation um mi1 is 96. is it okay yeah that's so 15 15 years. years but so you were close yeah that's, yeah. that's fair okay cool um well we'll be back in a moment with things we've seen we'll uh, see you then and we're back with things we've seen. This is a section where we talk about other movies or TV shows that we've seen recently uh, outside of the context of this podcast. Uh, Crossman, what have you seen lately? So I randomly watched another Ryan De Palma film. <laughs> oh, appropriate. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, just coincidental. I didn't realize it was a De Palma film. I watched the The Untouchables, oh, which yeah, is from '87. That's and, solid. Um, yeah, I really, really that? liked it. It um, sounds familiar. Yeah, it's the. Um, it's the Kevin Costner. Another one of your favorites. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> who's probably the the best Kevin Costner. Um, and then uh, De Niro plays Al Capone. It's about the uh, like 
capture and trial of, of Al Capone. Um, and Sean Connery is the... Uh, You'd think Scarface would be about Al Capone. Nope. <laughs> he would, but it's not. Oh, right. um, yeah, well, the original Scarface <laughs> is loosely based on That's Al Capone, true. but it's contemporaneous with Al Capone being alive, and yeah. so they couldn't use his story because they, like... And I think he actually sued those filmmakers. That's a whole other story. <laughs> um, Untouchables. Cool. Untouchables. Uh, 87, Brian De Palma, Durax. Um, it... It's uh, a, a technically amazing film. That sequence with the, the baby carriage. Yes. Yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Most, most famous for this, like, action shootout where they're on the stairs of, a, again, a train station, um, and there's a baby carriage and the Kevin Costner. There's, like, so much, like, tension built so up good. where the mom is, like, dragging the baby carriage up the stairs, and then the shootout begins, and, like... Uh, <laughs> There's just like shooting all all around. Um, it's a very violent film, much more violent than I remember. Um, like in very, uh, uh, like intense violence from uh, De Niro as Capone, who like kills somebody with a baseball bat, and they like show it. Um, That's graphic. Yeah, yeah. very graphic. Uh, yeah, people get stabbed and shot, and like there's multiple like very intense shootouts in 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 the film. Um, and another film that I think is like fairly complicated plot-wise because they have to like build this case against Capone, and you know they're like getting getting all they have to like build the team and then like gather all this evidence and then it's like about like trying to like disrupt his his operations. But the film is like so beautifully shot and so clear and purposeful in like every single scene, um, and not just from like a lens quality, which it's like insanely high um but they like have all these like model t cars and they're like using actual streets in chicago and like really long mm -hmm. wide shots of real streets in chicago where they're um so you have to have like lots of extras and tons of extras tons they're, of money. they're they're all in like 1920s like like amazing costumes everybody's dressed so well in this film and it has a uh, in uh, enrico morricone uh soundtrack <laughs> yeah soundtrack um and Sean Connery is amazing in it, mm -hmm. um, playing an Irishman, which is hilarious. They call they call him Irish, and it's like, do Americans just not know the difference between <laughs> Scottish? Oh, he, and he's just doing his normal accent. Yeah. Too. Oh my god. Yeah. I get that mixed up all the time. To be fair. And he also never changes his accent, uh, when, like no matter who he's playing, because he plays a, a Spaniard in um, another film. Um, anyways, he's great. In it and a very physical performance, even though he looks very old uh, in this film, and um, yeah, I think Costner is like actually acting here, which is a rare. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then De Niro is just like like a thousand percent De Niro, just like knocking every scene out, out of the out of the park, of and like is. steals the movie, even though he's in only like ten percent of it. Mm -hmm. um, very imposing De Niro and funny and it's it's good it's it's an awesome film and it won like a ton of awards it's a big fucking deal yeah, yeah it didn't win best picture which i'm actually like surprised by but like all the uh um like connery i think won like best supporting and i think de niro won something um and then the soundtrack won and like all the like technical categories they like swept um it's it's a great film and it, there's like real like stakes to the film where like main characters who we like are like killed, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which uh, is like rare. Yeah, you're like, right. Yeah. I, 
I, I have seen this, but I saw it a while ago, and I've been wondering for a while, like, how well it holds up. I think it holds up very well. Good. The one thing I don't like about it is that it's, like, very pro-FBI. Yeah, that they well, were, yeah. like, in the right, and they're doing the right thing, and they yeah. have, like, a righteous mission. <laughs> right. And, and, like... Costner at the end of the film was kind of like he has like regrets that he like did things that he didn't think he was supposed to. Yeah, but he has it's regrets, like like Schindler has regrets. Yeah, he's, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Where it's like, yeah, but you're still, yeah, you got the guy, you did, yeah, yeah. And exactly. and also the film doesn't address the like larger societal problem that we like ban device that everybody likes that and then caused and, this and criminalize yeah, it. And, yes, caused all the uh, alcohol yeah. to exist. And it's like a joke that they're like, oh, J. Edgar Hoover, we're gonna. You start the FBI in the film. Like, it's just like well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that that doesn't age well, but I think overall the, the film is actually like spectacular. Okay, that's yeah. good to hear because I have fond memories of it, but I've also was one of those ones like, did I was I like fourteen or fifteen when I saw this and just was like taken up in it? Does it still hold yeah. up? But it does. Uh, yeah, it, okay. it for sure does. It, it has this like strong like pro cop yeah, messaging sure. in it, but of course it does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's like every crime film. So. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I also saw a Robert De Niro movie about Irish people. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I saw Was it Irish called The Scotsman? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I saw The Irishman. Uh, I saw the, the new Scorsese movie. Um, it, at the Belasco. So this is uh, distributed by uh, Netflix. Um, theaters, like conventional AMC, Regal theaters, didn't want to play it because it was going to be, it would show up on Netflix too soon. Um, after it was screening in theaters, and they have rules about that, and they refuse to do it. So they, what they did is they had it showing at a handful of smaller independent theaters, but also they contracted with a theater on Broadway, uh, the Belasco, to show it at a Broadway theater, and I got a ticket to, to go see it there. So that was that was pretty cool. They had like little souvenirs, like a, a fake newspaper that they made up for for the movie about the stuff that happens in the movie, and like you're seeing it in like this theater with a balcony and everything. Like so, it was it was a cool experience. Um, it's also three and a half hours long, in with no intermission, in uh. in those um, in those like, not super comfortable um, Broadway theater seats. Uh, I thought it was great. This is one of the best movies that Scorsese has made in a very long time. Uh, certainly one of the best mob movies he's made in a very long time. Um, the, it's about Jimmy Hoffa. Uh, the main character is De Niro, who, who uh, is. Uh, it's played by De Niro. The character's name is Frank Sheeran, um, who is a teamster. Um, he eventually gets, you know, gradually wrapped up in teamster criminal things, and it, it follows a track for the first two hours or so, similar to Goodfellas and Casino mm -hmm. and like the the normal um, uh, Scorsese thing. Uh, Hoffa is played by uh, Pacino, um, who does a good job here, and weirdly ends up saying a bunch of Italian slurs, which is a strange thing to hear mm. coming out of Al Pacino's mouth. Um, but that is what happens in this movie. Mm -hmm. um, and then Pesci plays like the local mob boss that has that is like the, the criminal has criminal ties with the with the union, with the with the Teamsters Union. So the first two hours of this movie um, play out very similar to um, Goodfellas, very similar to Casino, uh, less similar to Wolf of Wall Street, but like in that category. Um, I'm very glad that we watched The Conformist before I saw this movie. Yeah. Because having, it, once you get to the end of it, you realize that this movie is basically The Conformist. Um, the De Niro character is essentially muscle, 
by by the midway point of this movie and ends up just killing who they tell him to kill um, with very little question, just kind of going along with the with the ride. The movie is framed in with a, a traveling sequence with the, the Pesci and De Niro and their wives in a car, just like or similar to The Conformist, which is how that movie opens and and hits its climax. Um, you eventually realize somewhere around halfway through the movie that where they're traveling to is the hit on Hoffa. So Frank Sheridan, the De Niro character, and Jimmy Hoffa develop a, a really close brotherly relationship throughout this movie that is genuinely quite touching and moving. Um, and the, the turn for Frank Sheridan, and the audience sees this coming from a mile away, is that he is the one that executes the hit on on Jimmy Hoffa, and like that kind of breaks the character, essentially. The last, th this is a spoiler for Irishman, but whatever, like this is a difficult movie to, to spoil. The last hour of the movie isn't mob stuff. Like the last hour of the movie is not uh, what they do in Goodfellas, where it's like him ramping up the criminal activity until his criminal activity catches up with him and he gets captured by the law and ends up in jail. The last hour of the movie is Frank Sheeran as an elderly man completely abandoned by all of his friends and family, living alone, in pain for his entire life because he's been, you know, beaten up and shot, and it's just utter grief, desolation, and loneliness. Mm -hmm. And that's all that he's left with. <laughs> um, and it's, it, it's riveting, and it feels like such a clear response to everyone that misunderstood what Goodfellas and Wolf of Wall Street and Casino was about. It seems like Scorsese shouting from the rooftops that he knows these guys are bad, right? And okay. he's always known that these guys are he's bad. He's trying to make it clear this He's time. making it crystal clear that, like, what this gets you, even if you don't get caught, even if you get away with it the entire time, even if you're not orchestrating it, is a life full of misery and pain and just complete self-abasement, which is where this guy ends up. Um, as the various characters are introduced throughout the movie, they get their name, which Scorsese has done before. They'll get like a freeze frame, name of the guy, and then it'll say, shot three times in the head in 1981. And then you'll get the next guy in a, a 30 minutes later, and it says, assassinated in an alley in 1979. And it, it just makes so clear throughout the movie that what is waiting for these guys is a violent, useless death or complete loneliness. And, and, and depression and grief at, at, the, end of the, at the end of the movie. Um, it draws a lot from The Godfather as well, not just in the ways that you would expect. Um, there's specific lines um, that it's lifting from The Godfather. I think it uses the music on more than one uh, occasion, um, and it ends on a door that is being left open for a man who refuses to accept that the end has come rather than a door that is being closed, which is how The Godfather concludes. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, this, it, it, I think this will be regarded and remembered as one of Scorsese's best movies. It should be remembered certainly as his best mob movie. I think it really is his best gangster film. So you mean um, it's better than Goodfellas? I mean, it's better than Goodfellas. Casino. I mean, it's better than Casino. It's better than, than Wolf of Wall Street, better than Mean Streets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that it, it, it is a decoder for the rest of his his crime filmography. I think that it just throws into stark relief exactly what it means and that anyone who, there's no longer any excuse for anyone who glorifies what's going on in those, those mob movies. Like he is speaking exactly clearly as to what he's saying here. Um, and, it, and it works very, very well. Um, so the, the, if you can see this in a theater, you should. Like it, it's obviously meant to be seen in the theater. Scorsese is on record saying that. 
uh, if you can't stream it on Netflix. Like it's it's going to be there by the beginning of December or something like that. Um, and you can and, take a bathroom break. And you can take a bathroom break because it is a full three and a half hours long. <laughs> it is not a short movie. Yeah. Um, but I, I absolutely loved it. It didn't feel like three and a half hours, um, except in the my neck, and <laughs> and it, it was really really excellent. So. You, you think you think someone like me who didn't like Goodfellas or Casino might enjoy this? I potentially. It depends what you did or didn't like about sure, of course, because <laughs> it does feel a lot like that. Yeah. Um, in the in the early parts, intentionally, right? Because he's yeah. he is almost critiquing himself in, in mm -hmm. a sense when he's kind of recreating what he's already recreated several times before, just variations on a theme. Um, you did like Conformist. Um, yeah. So, and I think this movie is has a lot of shared DNA with that. And I'm dead certain that Scorsese has seen Conformist. Um, yeah. So it, in that sense, it might, it might resonate. Um, and it might make Casino and Goodfellas more clear sure. um, to, to people who have seen those movies. So I, it, to me, this is a very, very easy movie to recommend, despite the three and a half hour runtime or perhaps because of it more good movies good more good movie that's great <laughs> yeah um all right charles it's your pick what, what are we watching i would like to choose alphaville oh okay wow yeah let's let's watch alphaville and finally get to the french new wave i can't wait i love the french new wave okay that's that's a doozy <laughs> that's that is a doozy. I, I when you mentioned it years ago two years ago whatever it was i had not seen it i've watched it since then so it'll be fun to return to it so so quickly it, it's yeah. good um, all right, well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, we'll, we will be back next week with Alphaville. If you're liking the show, please uh, like it on social media, share it, comment. Uh, we really do uh, appreciate that. Uh, we are on Facebook, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, um, and we'll be right back here next week with Alphaville. <laughs>